There we go. We're live. Episode cool. one. Yep. <laughs> Exciting. Right. About a, mo- a month in the making. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, man, so, it's Monday. Yep. Fire it off. That's yeah, the one thing a, we got to get used to, right? Which is like learning how to not talk over each other. Like that's something that, that yeah, that and where do I look? Like I'm looking at you. Talking, yeah, I'm looking at you. I'm looking down is, here, you know, but obviously 100%. cameras up here. So it's kind of weird. Um, yeah. So it's until, a, until we decide to actually do something with the recording, it probably doesn't matter too much, but not really. I, and I imagine too, we're probably going to just cut some out if we do use the video for anything. I, I certainly don't, don't want to watch an hour of video or sweaty faces in the shop. Um, yeah. So it's July 31st, um, 2023 first episode. Um, this is a sharpened perspectives podcast. Jim and I have been talking for like a month about starting a podcast. Um, primarily with the perspective of being uh, machinists first and foremost, I think before anything else um, there's a, definitely a different perspective that we have on making knives and continuous improvement on our craft and what we do. And, Obviously, you know, we're machinists, so I think... Uh, yeah, it's ironic. You know, you look at uh, what a lot of guys are doing these days, and especially in the knife space, typically are... Or actually, I guess you can go back, right? When I first started making knives at the beginning of 2017, it was guys that were making knives transitioning into picking up machines so that they could be a little more efficient. These days, it seems like there's a, a few more guys with machinist backgrounds kind of like me that are deciding that, you know, they don't want to make money for somebody else. They want to do it for themselves. So how can I start to integrate this process? And uh, I think that there's a, a slew of, of podcasts that are available to like knife collectors, knife makers, knife historians, industry people. Um, but I don't think that there's a lot of like guys that are trying to do it themselves that are just willing to kind of talk about it uh, formally anyways on a schedule. And so when like you and I would have a phone conversation and it's like thinking to myself, I don't have these conversations with anybody else. I really wish that like I could get some of these resources like somewhere else that I can enjoy regularly. So when you brought up the idea of a podcast, it was like, I think that's actually going to go over pretty well. I think that what we say have to say is like pretty interesting and can probably help some people, whether it's just kind of going over our struggles or ideas that we have or, or whatever, man, I'm just looking forward to kind of getting that stuff out there and seeing what people think of it. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, I mean, for me, it was like, you know, having the machine doing this thing full time again for almost a year now, um, after spending close to 20 years working for other people and off and on doing my own thing, um, which is kind of where you and I first met. It was what, 2016, 17. I think it was earlier than that, man. Cause I remember when I first got on it. it, Yeah. 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 Okay. But I think about it. So I started making knives beginning of 2016, but you and I talked for a couple of years before that, because I remember when I first started Instagram in 2013 and I was still riding bikes. And I remember being aware of you through like BMX board. And like when I saw you were on Instagram and like you were posting a lot of like manual machining stuff of like, you know, components that you were making. I was like, Oh, I know this guy. And I kind of like followed along for a little while and then would interact with you like on my old Instagram account, Jim BCPA. Um, which was all just like mold making and machinist stuff at that time. Mm-hmm. And then like, I, I remember like when I started to transition to knives, then like I knew you had been making some, but I didn't yeah. know anything else about the industry. And I kind of started like picking your brain a little bit and like not realizing that like you were not really in like the custom knife making side of it. You were in like the machining knives side of it. So we're talking about grinders and stuff and like 
like looking back, I'm like, he didn't really know anything about what I was asking him, but you still help me. You know what I mean? You're like, yeah. Oh, I know this idea of this grinder that you can make. And I made one, you know, and like, it, it was just interesting to see the progression, you know, like, yeah, it has, it has been a while, man, almost 10 years. It for sure. Yeah. And I remember like you would hit me up and then I don't, I was busy and it's kind of the whole roles have really flipped completely hundred percent or 180. Now it seems like, yeah, um, I was like, I always like didn't want to bother you. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that's, what I, saying, that's what I remember. I'm and... like, yeah, I remember you even mentioning that. Like, oh, dude, sorry, man. I always hit you up all the time and bug you. I'm like, dude, I don't, it's all good. No sweat. Yeah, you're man. always, you're always chill about it, but it's just, it is funny now. You're kind of turning circles and like hitting me up and I'm like, happy to be able to share, man. Like, I guess, yeah, I, for, I forget sometimes that like I haven't doing this for a while. It's weird, right? Like I'm seven and a half years. I've been making knives. It doesn't feel yeah. like that, you know? And like. Right. I don't know, man. Time flies. It's like anything else though. You know, it's yeah. blink of yeah, an eye and you're into the next stage, but, but yeah, so we're yeah. here now. Um, I think like a, a cool segue or not a segue, but sort of the conversation is uh, Ken and I are both doing um, a knife show in Indianapolis in six weeks, the maker syndicate. Um, it's a show put on by another machinist knife maker, uh, Daniel Osborne. So Dan, was a career machinist for a while, sort of what we were talking about earlier in the episode was a career machinist started making knives. I actually remember when he came up to me uh, at blade show 2019 with his like first Roosevelt, one of his first iterations of the Roosevelt and sit in the pit and said, Hey, check this out. And I was like, oh, cool, man, a machine knife, like works pretty well. And I think I remember even hitting you up afterwards. Like hey, he brought this knife in. It was like pretty cool. Like, different you know what i mean but not what i was doing at the time flat scales like machine ground like just wasn't really what i was into but like function and stuff like that it's cool to see where he's come in the last few years with his shop i mean i don't know oh, you saw, he, just, he just bought yeah. a five axis brother he just you know has two speedio whatever x one that sx 1000s or whatever they are and like has like i st actually stopped there in um not to dominate the conversation but i stopped there oh, when i was in Indiana, indiana a month and a half ago, learning to forge stainless Damascus, we ran over to Dan's shop. My buddy Logan and I ran over there and uh, we're able to check out his outfit and stuff. And it's like, man, it's something to aspire to. That's for sure. Oh yeah. But, he's uh, killing it. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely like his pr process is solid, man. Yeah. It's cool. I didn't know he was a machinist beforehand either. I have no idea like what his background was or what. But yeah. Still, he was like, just, he was a second shift machinist. Like I think he was like push buttoning machines and doing manual work. I'm totally kind of blanking, but it wasn't like, I don't think he was working in a job shop environment. It might've been like a production machining environment. And yeah. he was actually like, the place was cool enough to let him you know it must've been a job shop style because the, this place would actually let him like make his knives on the machines after hours, you know, cool. as where like, like store, you know, spoiler alert, I started my business on the back of my old job, you know, and I would make parts there without them knowing about it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. as we're I did my like, so, yeah, you know how no, it is, I was man. saying that's how I did my 1911s. I use the bridge yeah, and their and their engine lathe like during the clock, you know. I've been hey man, the go old government jobs looking over your shoulder, exactly, you yeah. getting busted, you know. Now we'll never get a yeah. job anywhere else again, but fuck it. Whatever, um yeah. but no, yeah, so you know, so, so so Dan, anyways, so Dan is uh putting on this show. The story behind it is um he's only ever done one other show, and it was Blade Show maybe two years ago. I wasn't there, maybe the one right after COVID. And he did well, but he was not super enamored with just like all of the overseas stuff that was present you know he just was yeah. not thinking that like that was the experience that he wanted at a knife show he wanted knife makers that were making an effort to do things domestically and so he put together this show 
which I mean, honestly, I gotta be honest, I'm loving these like smaller maker shows that I've been to, like whether it be yeah. the Kentucky Custom Knife Show or this one that I was just at this last weekend, the Portland or the Pacific Northwest Custom Invitational in Seaside, Oregon. There's a lot of these like smaller niche shows popping up. Yeah. And so uh, Dan actually invited us both to uh, to be a part of that show. And so the beginning of this podcast is actually kind of coinciding with the beginning of our prep journey leading up to uh, the show on September 16th. So, yeah, it's perfect. Ti- yeah, it's perfect timing. Like I hit you up kind of to really talk about more and, or focus more on like the machining side of it, like s- straight up CNC machining, you know, yes, CNC. Um machining knives whether that's you know just machining handles or milling primaries or whatever you know there's all kinds of heat from everybody on both sides and discussion on the internet about it and um but we have a whole different view on all that stuff i think that a lot of people and uh where they're all just tools you know cnc mill is just a tool it's no different really for me than a belt grinder or whatever you know uh so this show specifically is cool because most of the guys are all doing it kind of similar to how we are whether it's 100%. on a smaller scale, but it's all, it's really just like all machinists. It seems like doing yeah. the show. So it's really there's cool. A, there's a couple other guys that's uh, are kind of on the bill that like aren't necessarily fitting that, but like they're some like, well, semi-local Matt Christensen um, is yeah. not far away. And uh, he's obviously been a buddy of mine since the beginning. I'm super stoked. He's going to be coming. Yeah. Um, the boys over at Keenison who are the kind of the antithesis of that. They are still, you know, hand making everything. Um, yeah. Actually just today I was chatting with Dan and when I this weekend, I saw a buddy of mine, Scott Hansen, um, who makes awesome handmade custom folders. Um, and I saw him and I said, hey, man, like getting ready for the show. And I knew he was from Indiana. I'm like getting ready for the show in your home state. And he's like, yeah, I was, would love to get on that. And I said, well, I mean, you're awesome. It's an hour and a half from you. I'll hit up Dan and see if they got any space left for you. So another spoiler alert. Dan said they'll make room for another Indiana guy. So Scott's going to be jumping on the bill. But um yeah, I think for the most part, everybody else, Craig Brown of Brown Knives, Holt Knife Works, um, Alex Steingrabber at SPK. Yeah. Um, I don't even have the list of it, you know, heads. I know I got the web, I got the website up right here, but yeah, yeah Skip's gonna smarter. be there, Brown Tactile. Yeah, it should be cool. Uh, yeah, a lot nice of guys, guys that I feel like. Yeah, nice guy. Some some uh, trinkety guys. I think. Yeah. Um, I think it's cool because I think a lot of these guys, I don't think a lot of them have done shows before or if they have maybe just one. So it's a cool kind of a place for them to come out where, you know, the people that are going to be there for the kind of knives that are going to be sold are going to be interested in the kind of knives that they're making, you know, yeah. and like you kind of, there's like a dichotomy there of like, um, you know, like other, like these custom shows, like the Portland show, right? Like there's kind of a tier or like an, like a benchmark of like what all these makers are bringing to that show. And if you kind of don't fall within those parameters, the people that paid the money for the ticket and the airline like may not be there to pick up your work, you know, as where mm-hmm. if a guy like that showed up at, you know, blade show where you have an enormous quantity of people coming through the door of all walks in life, walks of life and levels of collecting and interest, whether they're brand new or they're savants, you know, somebody's going to stumble across your table. That's probably interested in your work. So when you put yourself in that, you know, you're, I don't even know what the word would be, but when you're narrowing your the customer base that's coming to that show for probably what you're making already, whether they know you or not, it, it makes it a little easier to kind of purvey your wares. I know you're in a similar situation, right? Like you've never done a knife show. You've been to a couple, but a while ago. And like this yeah. is kind of your, your coming out party of like not your rebranding, but like hopefully the fruition of a project that's been in the pipeline for a long time. Way too and long. So, dude, Way a long long, time, yeah. a long time, man. Like that's what's cool is like you've been through other iterations yourself too, which is like, I made some, 
you were talking about doing some in China. You and I are both not big fans of China in that regard, no. like and made the decision like after launching a Kickstarter that almost got filled. I think that was probably a blessing that it didn't because I'm, re- I'm, at, I'm very happy it didn't. So that was that was one thing like, you know, we both talked about doing that. That was with Best Tech. I launched that Kickstarter was like, hey, I'm doing this Kickstarter not to start a production, you know, Chinese production knife brand where I'm not doing anything other than just designing stuff. Um, sent it to them. They wanted a real high MOQ on it. And it got like 80-ish percent to the goal. Um, I set the goal literally at what their MOQ was. I wasn't making any profit on any of the knives that were really going to be sold through the Kickstarter. It was only cover the MOQ, get the knives, and then anything extra was going to be kind of where some profit was. And I was going to use that to buy a machine. Yep. That was really so the whole goal for the for whole pe- thing. For people that don't know, MOQ is minimum order quantity. Yeah. Yes. You, you, got all the, you, got all, you got all the terms and then you got to remember there's going to be some dummies in here like me that As don't necessarily it, know all the yeah. verbiage. No, but I'll be, the one, I'll, be the one, I'll be the one here that directs that away. You know what I mean? I'll I was thinking about, shit. I should probably say MOQ. Um, you know, no, it's, it is, it's, but... it's better to look smart and let me be the one that looks dumb. But um, <laughs> yeah, so no, for sure, man. Yeah, they, they wanted 300 knives um, and it was like five, it was like 50 grand, whatever it was. And uh, it did like, I think high 30s on the Kickstarter didn't fund which was good because I didn't, I wanted to do it through Kickstarter, even though I was going to lose money because I didn't want to have to refund anybody's money. I didn't yep. want to have anybody's money. I didn't want to have any of that responsibility. Um, so didn't reach the goal. I could have just fronted the rest of it, but I'm like, you know what? I don't want to do this. I'd rather just kind of restructure everything and start off how I wanted to do it in the first place and just make them myself entirely in house. Um, as much as I can for now, you know, obviously I sent you some for heat treat surface grind, um, but pretty much everything else I'm going to do entirely here on the mill. For sure. Um, and on, honestly, man, I don't think that that heat treat is something that 90% of knife makers outsource when they get above a certain functioning amount of knives that they're yeah. making, you know, yeah. like there are things that like that, in my opinion, that like don't affect as long as you're doing the stuff domestically. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. you can brand it the same way, you know, and like that. Yeah. I think you're, I think, I think leaning on a friend while you're starting this part of your journey, when like you're talking about, I have $5,000 of the heat treating equipment over here. Like, dude, don't worry about buying that stuff yourself. Like lean on me yeah. for a second. Yeah. Worry exactly. about that when you sell your first run or if this gets to be serious or, you know, there's like two schools of thought there, right? Like you got guys like Yoni, for those that don't know, compliance edge knives, a big motivator for me getting mm-hmm. into knife making a longtime friend of Ken's San Diego knife maker. That's absolutely killing it by himself. Um, for a long time and maybe even still, but I think he, he may be outsourcing his heat treat now, but he was heat treating 50 or 60 or more knives a week with his two heat, even heat, heat 110 heat treat ovens, you know, yeah, like he was, he was one of the few, but I think to get to that level, like most people are starting to send stuff to Peters or to Byington blades or to Hanson yeah. bulk or whoever they're using. So yeah. yeah, happy to help you with regard, you know, with that regard. Yeah, for sure. I think once it gets, you know, hopefully things take off. And if the quantities get high enough, I'll probably just send to Byington there in California. Um, I never mentioned, I'm in Anaheim, California. I'm about a mile north of Disneyland. And uh, I'm uh, in Erie, Pennsylvania, about one mile south of the Great Lake of Lake Erie. Um, yeah, so we couldn't be for more opposite places yeah. doing something similar. And you find that story to be pretty true in knife making a lot, like, you know, I mean, I meant to show this last weekend. There's people from all corners of the United States. And like the one thing that brings us together there is knives here. It just happens to be machining. And it's yeah. weird. The group, you know, like the, you know, the, uh, the disparity between 
like the machining side of like social media and the knife making side. Like there really is not a lot of like crossover there, you know, because like I, I look at all the guys that I respect on the machining side and like, you know, you have guys like Grimsmo that like obviously are deeply rooted. But obviously, you know, when you have a five million dollar shop, you know, you can kind of have something to talk about with these guys that have expensive machines and do like job shop or production style work. I don't think there's a lot of carryover between one Haas in the garage guy and like professional machine shop. I think it's cool that we can maybe start to kind of bridge that though. Right. Cause we have a foot in both doors, whether it's maybe not here, but having worked for shops like that, we understand, understand like big shop workflow and like, you know, and, and managing those kind of personalities and, and requirements. And we can kind of like also talk about the, hey, I'm a guy that rolled out of bed and came out here and turned my machine on too. You know, it's kind of a fun thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, we live like very parallel lives too. You know, kids and wives and, Makes it super easy to talk to the house. Yeah. Yes, dude. Similar issues. I I think about that. Like it's so important to have somebody to talk to. That's like, yes, I have kids. Yes. They're young. Yes. I'm ambitious. Like, yes, I want more. Yes. I'm trying to grow my own brand. Not just like, so like you've been doing some job shop style work for the last year since you left um, your last job. And I think you agreed, like you kind of want to get out of that, right? Like being beholden to other people isn't what we're looking for. Um, and we really want to invest in ourselves hundred percent. And I feel like there's some guys that are meant to collect a paycheck, whether it's doing other people's work, I guess I'm kind of doing both. I'm doing other people's work and my own work, but, um, and there's some people that are meant to kind of push forward with their skills and do their own thing. And I think we want to be able to kind of highlight that for whether it's to like, to give motivation to the guys that already have machines on ways to streamline their processes, or whether it's guys that have a formal background that are considering buying a machine and doing it on their mm-hmm. own, trying to show them that, that, that it is possible and you can do it. Um, I think that's, that's one thing that surprises me the most. And I don't mean this in a bad way at all, but how many of like my knife making friends that have machines that are like killing it. And I'm like, I'm like, I wish I was a fly on their wall to see how they're doing it. They must have the most yeah. dialed process. And then you talk to them and they're like, now this thing's just like a glorified water jet, dude. I tab everything out. I'm still blending all the profiles by hand. I'm still hand chamfering mm. parts. Like they're not using the machines to the same capability. And like, I keep thinking to myself, like, man, you guys are so close to like, to being able to do it a hundred percent. But at the same time, from an outside perspective, they're killing it. They're getting a lot done. They have a ton of models are using crazy material combinations. Like it looks like they have, they must have a machine with 10 different pallets that they're able to move through. And it's like, no, they've just found a way to like make what they're doing work. And like that blows my yeah. mind that you can kind of do it, how, you know, with any background, you can make it work with enough effort. Oh, totally. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cool. Yeah. I mean, so you're doing production stuff for other people, but it's all still within the knife industry, which is cool. For, for sure. Like and very I, niche. It is very niche. Very and niche. Um, I got to be honest, like I don't, I don't have much of a desire to go back to like job shop style tolerance blueprint work and like, I just, I like making what I'm making. I found a way to make it well. I mean, I've made 10,000 different components over the last 15 years of my old job. And like, Mm -hmm. sometimes I don't really feel like always being in the prototyping phase. You know what I mean? Where every job is like small, small order quantity stuff. Like whether that's 10 pieces or a hundred pieces, either way at the end of the week, you're moving on to the next job. You know, I'd rather operate within the same realm, build a process, maybe change the shapes, but like, at the end of the day, the form and function is still the same. And, um, you know, that kind of, that kind of gives me some mental, a little bit of extra mental capacity to like put that into the creativity of my own stuff. Right. Like, I think that's the move for me is like pay the bills, um, you know, doing work for other guys, but at the same time, while the machines are running, 
being able to work on my own stuff and be creative in my own place is like, that's where I want to put that energy once the machines are running on stuff that's already programmed, you know? So it's yeah. a, it's a kind of a sweet spot for me. Totally. But, and you could, you can almost kind of use the work that you're doing for other people because it's so similar to your stuff. You're essentially developing your process on someone else's dime still. Oh yeah. Cool. I mean, it built, I didn't transition my yeah. own stuff over to the same manufacturing process until a year after I started making stuff for somebody else. You yeah. know, I had three, I had three jobs going and I finally was like, okay, I've made hundreds of knives for those that don't know. I make them call Mac style, which is machine assisted custom style, more or less. I'm manufacturing all of the components um, for a knife, two sets of handles, a backspacer, a pocket clip, and then the blade, um, both preheat treat and then they're heat treated surface ground and then hard milled or post heat treat machined. And then I assemble them all and send them to the makers in monthly batches um, then at that point, those makers have to grind the blades, set the locks and the detents, apply finishes and sell. So they're getting a platform every month that is consistent where they can then build a process around finishing. Um, mm -hmm. And so once I started, I had made hundreds of knives max style for other guys. I finally was like, and I actually put my own stuff pretty much on hold for that time just because I was transitioning to working for myself. And like, I didn't really have the, the wherewithal or the energy to like do both yet took me a year of doing one to feel like, okay, I'm in a good place to start to launch my own product. And it wasn't until last July, right around actually this one year ago, this week that I uh, finally like took the time to like reprogram, like redesign and reprogram all the fixturing and all the sequencing for um, taking my own designs to the same method of production. So yeah, I for sure built a better process for making my own shit on the backs of my customers. It was the best yeah, thing I probably ever did, man. Like, and now I look back and I'm like, how did I ever make this my stuff like for years before, like piecemealing it on sh shitty fixtures without no continuity. And it's like, I spent too much time and money and like, it just wasn't yeah. smart, but yeah. you wouldn't appreciate like anything in life. You don't appreciate the step up. If you're not stepping up from somewhere, if you're always at mm. the top level, you never can look back and be like, man, I really didn't have it figured out back then. No, but it's like you said too, like the rising tide raises all ships, you know, like for you're sure. improving their stuff by improving your process and you're not, using your customers you know it's not like you're taking advantage of them because they're getting what they ordered and every batch that they get is even better than before yeah i kind of have to remind oh. them of that stuff too is like i'm continuously making improvements you know and i always ask them like hey if you want anything changed or you see places in the process that could be better like or the finished product let me know we can change it this is yeah. a robot that'll do whatever we want you know exactly. as long as you're not completely changing everything about the knife we can make small tweaks but uh actually a cool thing that's like kind of stemmed from this that I wasn't really thinking is that like, I think a good portion of the guys that are getting Mac stuff are now getting interested in doing CNC stuff themselves. Mm -hmm. So like um, Brian Brown, I know is trying to buy a machine. I've been doing the Mac 51 for him. Um, Kurt Merrickin bought a CNC router and is doing some like inlay stuff and stuff that he's doing, but I know he's interested in CNC. Um, Ian Pekarski CMF is just a couple of weeks ago was talking about getting a CNC. And so I think like these guys are getting exposed to like, man, it's nice to work with the consistency of parts that, that I'm getting from him. And like, if I want to have longevity in this for the next 20 years, like I, I have to start to look at having some assistance. I don't want to hire somebody. I don't want to work more hours. So what do I do? I buy a machine and learn to use it. So, I mean, I kind of see, you know, a lot of these projects segueing over to the point where I'm like, do you want to buy the fixturing and programming and just do it yourself? Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, and, you know, and like, hey, I'm you know happy that we were able to both make some money doing it and get you some exposure. But in turn, that lets me work with new people and help new people continue to rise, you know. And that was a, yeah. a point that I hadn't originally thought of, you know, it was like 
that we're like it's like fledgling CNC guys are getting experience. But if I could like, mm-hmm. if no guy ever wanted to do multi- another project with me year after year, because usually these projects last a year, I could just continually cycle people in, you know, and it wouldn't really be that big of a deal. And then you get guys like my OG Brian Efros, who I'm do- have done the Max Sonic Doom for. I, you know, he loves making knives by hand. I don't think he has any interest in doing CNC stuff, and he just loves having somebody to do these kind of projects with. So. Yeah. I think you'll have some guys on both sides of the fence, but no, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. man. It's uh this is going to be an interesting uh, chronology of events over the next six weeks as we share this stuff on here, especially yeah. for you, because you're not only are you in, in all reality, and we're going to disclose this to you listeners here. Ken, I don't think has ever finished a datum done a datum start to finish. Have you? No. Like have you no. have made one completely? I- I sent you the most complete one when I sent you my first blade. Um, mm-hmm. And that was literally, I mean, I've made complete knives for plenty of people. I've made parts for people that are on the maker syndicate list. You know, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Me, we got to preface know? that. We got to preface that. Ken has made a lot of knives, a lot of complete ready to use knives, just not yeah. of this particular model. Not so of that's my own. I, had, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> fixed blades. I've done a lot of my own fixed blades, um, you know, which you helped out too. I mean, I sent them all out to you for sharpening and, uh, so, but all the machine work and all the fit finish, you know, that was all here. I've done, you know, hundreds and probably actually definitely done thousands of blades. Um, For sure, dude. For sure. You know, whether it's just a straight up blade start to finish, here's a complete blade, put it in your shit and grind your lock face, you know, set detent, grind your lock face. That's it. Um, fixed blades, you know, for others, all, my lights are dying right now. So I got to definitely get a good key light set up in here. Your lights are dying. My watch is buzzing because it's dying. All of our shit's yeah. dying. But so, anyway, so yeah, so you've yeah, done so, that. You've done a lot of work, but it's interesting to uh, to see you now get to build a new process. Like for those that don't know, Ken's I feel like his strong suit has always been like fixturing, conceptualization of projects, like streamlining and efficiency in manufacturing. So like at his like two jobs ago, I mean he was more or less like call him a manufacturing engineer, but he pretty yeah, much went know, in there and yeah. like ran cleanup on all the shit that they'd been doing super inefficient efficiently for as long as they had been. And so I have no, like when you're telling me, yeah, it's going to take me, you know, over the next six weeks to build knives, like, I know you can do it. Strong yeah. design intent, strong understanding of manufacturing process and setup and like strong background in like logistics and scheduling. So like, I don't see there's being any issue as long as you don't hit any major speed bumps. Don't crash the machine. You know what I mean? Like beyond yeah, that, like nothing Hopefully catastrophic are- happens. Yeah, phase converter goes out or something stupid. Um, yeah, man, that's the last thing you need. But shy of that, I mean, you're going to be pulling your hair out. But I think, yeah. you know, you're going to hit the milestone in six weeks to show up at the show with a pile of awesome. And it's well, going to be mean, rad. Yeah, checking in with you every week, too. I got to have some some progress, some, too. So. There'll be some accountability. Honestly, it's good for me. And this last month preparing for the uh, the Portland show, well, technically the Seaside show, um, that was my first foray into like running a full month of true Mac production while also trying to double time and make knives to prepare for the show. And I went into that pretty nervous, right? Cause I'd almost never done like both in volume at the same time. Last month I made more Mac knives than I've made in the last two years. I also was able to finish machine components for eight knives and come to the show with eight knives, five that I finished myself. The other three were collabs with a buddy of mine. Um, and like felt good about it. So like I'm going into the maker syndicate show. It's almost, this is almost like a test of like, okay, I think I figured it out. I'm going to streamline a few things. Let's see if this translates to another run. Do the timeframes look the same? Do they improve? Do I do worse? You know, it kind of sets the stage for like, 
you know, what my years to come are going to look like. Cause I'm telling my wife, man, it'd be sweet to do two shows a year. I don't want to do five, but no. to do two shows a year where like guys can get a hold of your, because that's the one thing that, you know, in the, this day and age with the internet, you can make a knife look good in the photo. You can make a knife look good in the video, but yeah. these people are spending a thousand or 2000 or $5,000 on a knife. They don't get their first real experience with it. A lot of the times until they open the box when it comes in the mail mm. and like, it's awesome to go to the show and let a, a lot of people, whether they can buy your knives or want to buy your knives or not, handle your work, give you feedback, help you know changes. Like my hands are like steel mitts. So like a lot of times when I'm touching things or like feeling my detent or action and stuff, you're desensitized to like what maybe it's the guy that's, whose hands get blisters when he washes his hands. You know what I mean? The office yeah. guy, the soft hands guy. Yeah, you know, you want everybody's perspective. You know what I mean? And so the show is cool for that because it kind of uh, it gives you you know, an extra perspective to make changes, but yeah. So yeah. I'm excited for this prep for you, man. No, it's cool. Yeah. I'm excited. And, uh, you know, getting back on the knives too, which is, it's weird. Cause this whole thing has come extremely full circle where I started hitting you up, you know, maybe a month ago or whatever about, Hey, I'm going to start working on these datums again. I don't even remember what my process should be on these things. I want to make them as efficient as possible. I don't mind dedicating time and cash and everything to work holding. It's like, you know, that's, pretty much like you said, you know, making dedicated fixtures and stuff. Like I don't mind making fixtures and pallets and doing all this stuff for it. If I'm doing 15 blades for somebody else, I'm going to be using one of my general fixtures that I use for that stuff. But for my stuff, obviously I want to build kind of production tooling right off the bat. Um, yeah. It's kind of pretty, important, pretty, right? We were, we, were talking, we were talking about that, right? Where it's like, do you do it down and dirty just to get the job done or yeah. do you take the time to make everything to a spec that you're, is going to be something that then you can use the process going forward where your next batch is. Yeah. And I used to do that with the Mac stuff. I would prototype them down and dirty to get them into the hands of the customer. And then when they would like review them and, um, you know, say everything was good to go, I would have to completely start from scratch, design new fixturing, reprogram mm -hmm. every component. I'm like, why didn't I just take the time to prototype this, build yep. the fixtures that I'm going to use in production. And then next month, instead of spending the entire month redoing it, I can in a week make their stuff. Yeah. You know, and that has been a godsend. I mean, I've, I've done, I think I have 10 Pearson pallets over there of jobs that I, you know, have done or I'm currently working on. And like, yeah, I just make that stuff off the bat now. There's no point yeah. in not doing you it. You might as well. Yeah. And you're really, well, I mean, ultimately you're only making like 15 knives. So if you spend one month doing everything to make one, the other 14 can be made in the following two weeks. You know what I mean? Yeah, not max. that you'll do it that way. You're not doing it that way, but you absolutely could. You could spend oh, yeah. five weeks doing the first and make the other ones in the next five days, you know, well, yeah. if everything's, everything's dialed. So it makes sense, you know, that's, and that's the machinist background in us. I think that's like, you know, the idea of do everything, how you do anything, you know, no yeah. job in a job shop style, you know, you're not cutting corners in any of that work. You know what I mean? It's everything's done right. And, you know, yeah. Applying that to knives yeah. is something a lot of guys don't do. Yeah. And typically in production shops too, you're not making like an entire family of parts on one little pallet where you're getting just an assembly out per cycle. You're going to make, you know, 300 blades and you're done with blades for the year. And you do that 100%. in just a week, two weeks, really, you know, frames. It's like, you can run, like when I was doing production blades for other people, I was cutting like 300 primaries, you know, in an afternoon, a day, yep. you know, max with how efficient the cycle was, but Man, I was using a two minute, you know, two minute cycle, just running, you know what I mean? Exactly. It's like, yeah, you just so run the hard part. I, done. I think the juxtaposition there is like a lot of times in knives, I think things change. You know what I mean? Like whether it's true, yeah. You know, maybe not things change like 
significantly, but you run a risk, especially when you're doing your own business where you own your scrap yourself. Mm-hmm. I don't like owning, I don't like owning my own scrap. And so that's why you see guys are like loading up fixtures where they're making 30 parts in a cycle, hit the green button, walk away. And it's like, well, if you have a catastrophic problem there or something shifts, you know, whatever, I mean, you know what happens, you know, and sometimes yeah. you don't know what happens, but I don't want to screw up 30 parts. Like I don't need a one piece workflow, but I also don't need a 30 piece pallet. You know, when like what we're doing just doesn't kind of demand that kind of efficiency yet. For sure. Yeah. You know, there may, there may be a time when that's the place. I mean, I get guys like Oz. I mean, even Alex Steingraber because he's doing like pre-order runs where he's making, I don't know, 50 or 80 knives at a time. I can understand the need to be efficient there, but like with a, with a delivery where you're trying to, you know, get people that have paid for stuff. But if you're not doing that, I much more, I, I figure like I'm out here, you know? And like, to be honest, if my cycle times for like two pieces are 15, 20 minutes or in hand in handles case could be an hour total for the top side. If you do a bunch of 3d work, that's more than enough time for me to, you know, be out here working on something else. Machine shuts down, walk over, load more parts. Like, I don't have the need for like that big, you know, unattended time anymore. Like I used to at my job. So I kind of prefer to be involved in that too, because you never know how tools are. And think about that finishes matter a lot in this. If a tool breaks down on part one, then you run that cycle for five hours. And then like, you have like ratty something cosmetic and it's like, well, you're not going to, you got to recut it. Got to change the the tool and make changes. You can't go in there and handwork that stuff. Yeah. You're wasting time anyways. I'd much rather just be invested in each component and, Mm-hmm. You know, for, for me, it's a little bit of a different story because like for the Mac stuff, it's only five or 10 knives a month. So for me to build these high density fixtures, it just doesn't make any, any sense when I'm doing six different projects in small volume. It's easier for me to just do one piece stuff. But if you find yourself dedicated to the datum, maybe that's a route that you go. It'll be that'll yeah, we'll be see. interesting for me to see, you know, because that's something I'm not doing. I'm able to kind of tell you how I'm doing things. You'll obviously put your spin on how you want to make stuff. I mean, obviously you have your your fit you know you showed me the design for your your palette already that has you know your one piece workflow for your blades and for for all that stuff and so i'll be very curious to see what level you take that to i'm sure i'll learn from you like i always do yeah um, well yeah but, i'm sure it's going to change too i mean it's still cad i mean i got material sitting on the floor right here for the fixtures and all the hardware and everything but i imagine it's going to probably evolve over time i think for me the main thing is i want to have just blades running at one time, whether it's one or 10 or 20 or whatever, it's just blades. And then yep. once those are all done, just frames. Once that's all done, just clips. Yeah. You know, on the datum, there's no backspacer. Um, and then all the hardware, I'm probably just going to run on my engine lathe for modifications that I got to do on them for sure. Um, trimming links or whatever. But no, I do I that wanna... now. Like my, my, my wife will say to me that, right? She'll say, Well, if you, you know, why don't you just run this guy's knife start to finish, you know, and then do this guy's. And it's like batching similar, similar components is always the smart thing, whether yeah. it's because the criticals on them are all the same. So like you dial a tool in for stop pin fit or for, for a pivot fit or whatever. And I'm going to run 60 sets of frames. It doesn't matter if there's five of them, five different ones. Like the way I design my pro and program everything, literally the sequences are copy and paste. They're just cutting different shapes. It's just you know, regenerating order. Yeah. yeah, just yeah, it's just cutting something different. But I mean, tool numbers are the same, offsets are the same, shit looks the same. And so yeah. for me, it makes sense. Like, yeah, you know, like you said, I want to make sure I'm running all frames op one, all frames op two. And then, like, you know, having two machines is a little bit of a cheat, right? Because if I have a gap somewhere, I need to fill some machine time over here, I can grab anything and throw it in there. You know, my fixturing is all you, you know, universal of the orange vices and piercing pallets in both machines with 
you know, all the work offsets and everything, the same tool umbrellas are the same. So I can kind of interchange stuff um, by design, but yeah, it definitely makes sense to like keep your head in one component at a time. Cause it's like yeah. stopping and starting, especially like, it's not like we have, you know, five, you know, 60 inch table spaces where you have everything set up at once and you're flip flopping back and forth. Like, no, yeah. you're tearing out for every job that you're doing. And it makes no sense to tear out and set back up, you know? Yeah. If anything, I'd like to do all the machining, like one, two weeks for the month and be done and maybe not even turn the machine on for another two weeks. You know, who cares? Like, I, cause I'm going to be fitting and finishing and sharpening and doing all that stuff. Obviously, 100%, man. Obviously you want to keep don't. it running, but I don't want to keep it running just to keep it running. Like, yeah. Running for the so, sake of running. Like that's a stressor, right? You're like, if it's not spinning, I'm not making money. And it's like, but if you use it efficiently, it doesn't have to run all the time. And that's exactly. kind of the point. Like that's the kind of the point I think of like working for ourselves is like having that flexibility. Yeah. There are days like last week, five days when I was prepping for that show after I made all my components where I ran zero production, I just didn't feel like doing it. And I don't yeah. want to feel like a slave to the machine in exactly. a place where like, if it's not running, I'm doing something wrong and it's building anxiety. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I just want to treat it as a tool in the shop. You know, it's like, I don't touch my grinder every day. I don't touch my Bergmaster or my bridge port. It's like, if I don't need it's it, I don't care if it's on. It's hundred percent is there when you need so, it. And like, that's exactly when you're, doing, when you're doing job shop style work, like you were, you have that lingering thing when oh I have to leave for something for the kids or like my wife needs me inside or we have to go run an errand and it's yeah. during the work day. It's doing the, during the work day and you're like, shit, if that thing's not running, I'm making $0. And it's exactly. Like, that's still the case, but you know, it's, it's different though, you know, because but it's worked know, into the process. It's worked into everything. Exactly. You're expecting that it's not like it's just down because you don't have material or something, you know? So we'll it's see how it goes. A nice, it's a nice break too. You know what I mean? Where like, Sometimes I don't feel like staring into the machine and at the screen all day. I want to do something with my hands. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want to like get dirty and like be frustrated. And like, I don't want this to feel like I run a production machine shop. Like I got out of that. So yeah, totally. Anyways. So, yeah. I'm excited for yeah. you, man. I think it's going to be cool over the coming weeks That'll to share cool. that stuff. Um, Hudson's running in here. Come here, bud. Come here. My kid's going to swim class today. He's going to say bye right now. Come here. Nice man. Come here quick, quick. Hi. Come here. Come say hi to Jim. Hi, Jim. Say hi. Hi, yeah. Hudson. You, you going swimming? Oh, he can't hear me, can he? He can't hear us. You're going swimming today, huh? Yep. You got your swim oh, trunk nice. on and your shirt? Cool. Love you, bud. Love you. All right. I'll see you in a little while, okay? I'll say bye. Bye, <laughs> bye buddy. Nice, man. Yeah, actually, yeah. like I told you, I had to actually physically lock my door because my kid's coming in and out of the shop so much. I mean, it's a blessing and a curse, right? Like, we're close yeah. to our families. We're available to them at all times. On the same token, we're available to them at all times. So, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, cars on in the garage. I got the garage door open just for some light and some airflow, so it might be a little loud for a second. But I can't hear any of it, so you should be pretty good. Cool. Yeah, I think uh, we're recording this in Streamyard too, so I think some of this is going to probably cut most of that background noise out. Hopefully, it doesn't cut out the mic sound um, as well, intermittent if there's any, you know, door shuts or whatever. But. Um, you know, like we've talked about multiple times, I think the first couple episodes, whatever, most important thing is just get it out, get it going, I'm pretty start sure, it. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's to be expected for any new production, yeah. right? Like we've got to work the kinks out, figure out what to do, how to talk, how long we want things to be, et cetera, et cetera. But regardless, I think we're both excited to be here. We're both excited to share this stuff with people, no, um, for sure. get into nitty gritty, cut our teeth on it, and uh, hopefully it can make a difference for everybody. So Yeah, yeah, I think it will, especially like, you talking about how a lot of guys are getting into this more. Um, I think there's definitely a big void 
in kind of what we do and a lot of people like you said cutting their teeth just kind of figuring shit out on their own where if there's anything that we can do to assist in that you know like you're talking about building processes and building fixtures and building things and maybe selling that you know ultimately to somebody where they can just take it over um you know, or am I in doing some videos and doing some educational stuff in Fusion or SolidWorks or whatever, where it's like, you know, how to properly draw a knife primary with a nice sweeping plunge that's parametric, you know, that somebody can modify, do on their own kind of thing. So I yeah, I think it's going to be getting into that. And, it's going to go, it's going to go very cool places. I think we both have a lot of higher aspirations and ambition beyond like just exactly what we're doing now. So it'll be cool to kind of be able to catalog and share that as we go and be able to maybe look back and be like, Hey, remember when we were starting this podcast and yeah, you know, at where things were, it's, it's going to be exciting. But um, yeah, on that note, man, I'm looking forward to having further conversation. I think we've had a great chat this first episode. Yeah. You know, I think that uh, we were going to play some catch up as to what had happened previously, but we're kind of at that window mark where we kind of hope that we would be on a weekly basis. And um, yeah, for sure. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing what the week holds for me. Just a quick little tidbit for the shop ahead. Maybe you can share or the week ahead for the shop. Maybe same for you. Um, I'm getting into the final Mac stuff for the month of August, my deliveries in two weeks. Uh, So I have a handful of components to still make for that. Um, At the same time, I'm going to start planning out my uh, builds for the maker syndicate show um, and figuring out what I need to manufacture component wise there to start to build a schedule. Um, and I actually have to do some planning because I have my buddy Logan, Northwest Blade Works, who was the gentleman that I went to Indiana to learn to forge stainless Damascus with, is going to be coming in sometime between now and the Maker Syndicate to uh, make some knives for that show. So that's kind of like what I have is the logistics weeks, getting the machines running, and uh, kind of being in status quo while uh, kind of planning for the month ahead. I don't know. What do you got yeah. going on? Yeah. Cool. Sorry, uh, car was running the whole entire time you were talking. So hopefully, hopefully everybody can hear that. Um, I literally heard nothing, no feedback whatsoever. So I'm going to awesome. assume that we're we're good. But uh, cool. yeah, sweet. What do you yeah, What do you separate, got going on? Separate mic too. So hopefully it just cut out if anything on mine. So yeah, this week um, I've got so on top of knife stuff, um, I'm gonna try and focus less on doing job shop work. Uh, last week I am hoping that I finished up pretty much my last kind of job shop. You know, high mix, low volume job shop work. Um, sometimes it's hard to say no when somebody's dangling a check, you know, right in front of you saying, Hey, I need these parts in a week and I'll pay you when I pick them up, you know, way more than your shop rate because we need this stuff. So, um, but I, I definitely need to focus a lot more on the knives. Um, Mm -hmm. but aside from knife stuff, I do want to continue doing slide work, firearm slides, um, optic cuts, serrations, you know, whatever, basically anybody wants on firearm stuff. I have almost all of this stuff just already programmed in the machine, dedicated work offsets, turnaround time, fit finish, I think is very good, um, you know, personally. Uh, but some guys are, you know, months and months and months out where I'll turn around and opt to cut like same day or next day or within a few days. You've been uh, doing that for a long time too, haven't you? I mean, I long feel time, like at ten, least 10, 10 years. years. Yeah. Yeah. At least 10 years for sure. So um, I, the process is very refined. Um so I do want to continue doing that um, slide work and knife stuff. That's pretty much all I want to focus on. But I have, so for this week, I've got um, like a dozen or so slides I got to knock out within the next day or so, two days. Um, I do have one job where I'm doing some um, AR handguards. So I'm basically stock cutting extrusion, doing all the internal work on the ends uh, for a buddy of mine because he doesn't have enough Z travel. 
So I've got a lot more on my VF2YT than he does on his S700 Speedio. So um, basically kind of op zero, op one, whatever you want to call it um, for him. But other than that, as soon as those two things are done or, you know, that group of slides and then those extrusions, um, I'm working on datum stuff. So right now I'm kind of on the fence whether I want to finish up this blade that you had already heat treated in surface ground. Um, Cause I'd imagine the, the other 14 are probably going to be back soon, right? Whenever, yeah, they're getting dropped off. Getting get dropped, dropped off to me this afternoon, which is yeah. Monday, the thirty first, cool. and so I, I'm planning to ship those out to you tomorrow. So you should Rats. have in a couple of days. Probably cool. makes sense to uh, let that one sit and wait for the others to show up and just do them in a batch. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely want to do them in a batch. I still got to build the work holding because I'm going to probably end up just building that kind of final ish fixture for these things, uh, mm -hmm. and then doing this one kind of as the prototype or whatever. And if it ends up being good you know, do a lottery or something on Instagram, like we had talked about uh, with a couple other products that I have, like a nice matching set for that. Um, Love that idea. But I also have all of the titanium for the frame. So I need to basically just start saw cutting stuff. Um, once I have a pile of saw cut parts sitting in front of the mill, mill I'm a lot more motivated to like actually get them. Hell in the yeah, absolutely. So, uh, That's what I kind of what I was going at. I'm laying out all my water jet parts today because for some reason, when I see them all there, ready to go with their jaws next to them, it's just something about me. It's like, okay, I can get these in the machine now. If they're well, all in running in ten minutes, you know, it's like hundred yeah. percent. Yes, it's a lot easier when it's all sitting out there in front of you. But anyways, yeah. yeah so you got some saw cutting to do. Yeah, finishing up. So yeah, finish, finish up a bunch of slides, extrusions, and then just kind of get the knife stuff going. Um, I have all the hardware. I've had basically. So I bought all this Magna Cut, and I bought um, a bunch of plates of titanium, all the hardware pivots. Uh, bearings, all that stuff like a year and change ago, about a year and a half ago, um, when I was going to start working on them at the shop that I used to work at. And uh, thankfully, none of that stuff ever went through. It all kind of fell apart. Um, in two weeks, it'll be a year. I think it was, right? Yeah, middle of August, man. August 14th, I think was my, August 12th was my last day there, somewhere around there, 12 or 14th, whatever. And uh, that wow. was... that's. That was the best thing to ever happen. I'm still wild, wild man. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. I, mean, I remember that day when you called me actually and you're like, Hey, uh, I just left so-and-so. And I'm like, really? That was unexpected. Like, yeah, yeah but, uh, I don't know. I'm going to kind of like, uh, plan, you know, see, chill out for a little bit. See, I might do my own thing again. And for those that don't know, probably how long was it? Four years before then was when, cause you had been doing your own thing for what? Five years with like yeah, around there. yeah i've been going on like this four to five year schedule on everything where my first aerospace shop i was there for about five years 2009 economy all that shit you know happened they cut like half the shop um i was already interviewing at a mold shop went there i was there for about five years bought my fit all from them did my thing for about five years and then got back into aerospace got an offer at a big shop and i think at some point we'll probably go a little deeper into some of the background stuff but yeah i mean left i was doing my thing from i think i bought my mill like around 2012 or 13 somewhere around there um and i did that until 2017. so 17 is when uh the shop and everything all that shit went down at the shop and uh uh got that shot got that job at the aerospace shop and was there from 2017 and 21 and then at the next around place, there and i had a i had a little 21 to 22 yeah something like that and i had some time at yamazen doing applications engineering oh yeah, yeah studios yeah, 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 and yeah. tech salas and stuff so um and then got an offer at a work holding shop i was there for five or six months whatever and then 
yeah, about a year ago, left and bought this and almost a year later, yeah. Job shop, later. basically just job shop work this whole time. And it sucks. <laughs> it's exhausting. Especially aluminum job shop work. You know, it's like a race to the bottom. It's a race to the bottom. Everybody's cutting each other's throats. If you're not first, you're last. Like it's yeah. hard to make a dollar in that. If it's, you know, if it's not tomorrow, it's late. And it's like, man, you're just losing sleep at night, you know, getting yeah. back into something like this where people are used to waiting a, a little bit of time for a quality product and are willing to pay for it and are stoked about it. And will tell everybody how awesome it is rather than kicking you in the teeth because there's a scratch on the finish when it comes out of the box. Like, yeah. you know, it's a cool place to segue back into. I think you're getting into knives at a cool time um, mm -hmm. when the, the industry is thirsty or hungry for um, people that think outside the box. Like to me right now, most of the creatives lie on the design side of knife making. Mm -hmm. Most of those people have no manufacturing experience. So the coolest knives that are getting made right now are not getting made here. They're getting outsourced to China. And so you're always a guy that's thinking about your design language translates a different way. And I think it's very distinct. And so I'm very excited to see you take what you're conceptualizing and then using your skill with the machine to like make a super high quality, innovative, domestically made American branded knife. So I think that, you know, you're going to set the trend for, you're going to set, set, step the bar up for like all the guys. And like, this is not, calling any one person out in general but there's a lot of like plainly contoured or flat titanium frame lock knives out there that are not innovative they're not sexy but they're available which in today's knife climate sometimes it's not important how good it is it's but it can i get it because everything is so unavailable that like for you to be able to enter the market with all those boxes checked and the production experience to make them with some kind of volume is going to probably instantly catapult you to a place. And I'm just, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm going to say, I'm going to say it. You heard it here first. In a year, Zodiac Engineering is going to be a very popular knife making brand. I think you're going to see a lot of those out there and a lot of people enjoying them. So I'm excited to see uh, your trajectory over the next, you know, the coming months and years. And thanks for doing this with me and letting me talk to you every week about it as we see where this journey no, takes course. us. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. You know, and, uh, and we keep kind of winding down a, uh, I yeah, think it's yeah, going to yeah. be a cool, it's going to be a cool transition because the very first folder you ever made was at my shop, right? Sitting right over there on the bench. Yep. And that was in 2016, right? Somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. Summer yeah. of 2016. Yep. Yeah. You flew out, cool. brought uh, the Savage fixed blade and Hey, let's make folders. All right. You know, we went through the whole process and you left with, I think yours was done, right? Yeah. Pretty I mean, much. honestly, Maybe, it was just in a pocket clip. I think yeah, it, it, needed, work, right? it needed a pocket clip, man. Yeah, it's wild to think that that was seven years ago. Actually, I think it was. I yeah. came out in July in July of 2016. So yeah, seven years ago. It's crazy, you know. Yeah. And now we're here. So and now I'm cool, asking man. you, how the hell do I make folders? You know, I'm so happy to. Hey, man, I've been cutting my teeth on it for the last few years. I'm happy to share whatever I can. But um, yeah. No, cool. On that note, I will pull the plug on this because I know you yeah, and I was both Keith going back and forth. But for um, sure. Yeah, let's get into our days, man, and uh, yeah, I plan sure. on checking in with you next week. Yep, sounds good, dude. All right, man, Super have a good buddy. week. Later. You too, man, later.